This is the Unregulated Podcast by City AM. I'm Catchley Morrison. This week, we find out how one goes about becoming a social media celebrity and what happens when you get there. Hello and welcome to the Unregulated Podcast, where we talk entrepreneurial stories and how to get ahead in your career. We're coming to you from the studio at White City Place, courtesy of Hucketree, the digital lifestyle co-working space. We were joined by YouTuber Hannah Witten. That's such a, like, a loaded question, like how do you get famous? And James Erskine, director at Social Circle, the influencer marketing business. I guess you're looking for him to get out of bed at around £50,000. Now during the recording of this episode, someone decided to use a pressure hose right outside the studio. So that's the noise you may hear at various points during this podcast. Thanks, hose man! How did you get famous on YouTube? <laughs> That's such a, like, a loaded question. Like, how do you get famous? <laughs> um, well, I started making YouTube videos out of boredom and also just I watched a lot of um, other vloggers making videos and it just looked like loads of fun. I was like, I want in on that. Um, and then the getting famous part, I guess it was just uh, just doing it for like six years and a combination of hard work and luck. Was there any one video that really took off and you noticed that um, it was going somewhere? I had one video in 2014 called Do I Look Like a Slut that went uh, viral. Um, and I use the word viral, meaning that in a short space of time, it got a hell of a lot more mm-hmm. uh, attention than my normal videos were getting. Um and so, but but what happened was that it, it did peter out. So that wasn't like the making of me. So how many followers do you have now on various like YouTube, yeah. Instagram? Um, I have on YouTube uh, 350 or 360,000 um, subscribers. And then on Twitter and Instagram, it's like 90K plus each. Do you get recognized in the streets like do you do your fans you know is it the same as being a celebrity basically some sometimes yeah um not not like every day but like maybe once or twice a week or a month and was that something that you were expecting and what's it like it's fine like my my audience are pretty chill people and um in terms of like the kind of content that I create which is often quite personal and sometimes about taboo topics um i end up having very interesting conversations how does hannah's fame on youtube help with for marketers like yourself well we set up social circle to harness the power of people like hannah and their influence and it's kind of more authentic isn't it it's different to celebrity endorsement you know george clooney can sell me as many nespresso capsules as he wants to but Hannah's audience don't only engage with her when she's in something. She's kind of always on. There is YouTube content. Hannah's audience will see her on Facebook, see her on Twitter, so across multiple channels and at multiple times of day. And it's a really, it's, it's a relationship that has depth to it. And that's why I think it works. And the other thing as well, and this is something that we're, we're asked a lot about one of authenticity, but the first thing to say is most social media influencers to call them creators that's what they call themselves quite rightly but that there there is an authenticity to their comments so they're not renter gobs they won't just put their name to anything for the most part 
Um, and then the other thing is that in terms of digital marketing, this is as close to a friend recommending something as you can possibly get. Exactly, yeah. How do you decide which brands to partner with? What are your criteria? Um, I have like a bunch of things that it like it doesn't have to hit all of those points, but at least like most of them. And uh, one of them is it being a brand that I'm already aware of and like. Um, obviously not all the time a brand approaches me that I've heard of before but then like getting to know them and kind of uh, and liking what they do or what their product or the campaign is Um, uh, the price like that's obviously like a a factor in it like how much you're going to pay me and for what like what exactly are the things that you want out of me what kind of rate are we talking for like an Instagram post it really varies depending on like the the brand and the creator and uh the circumstance if it's like a one-off or uh like a a campaign that's going on like a relationship that's going to be going on for like a few weeks or a few months or whatever um but then other things are like what my audience going to get out of this Mm -hmm. like is um is this product something that i think my audience would really like or it would be really helpful to them or is there uh, a competition or giveaways or a discount code for them um you know if there's anything that basically i can get my audience some freebies or something that's mm-hmm. always um a plus james from your point of view how do brands feel about working with influencers like has it been a tough job convincing them and are there certain are there companies and sectors where it's just not going to work B2B is tough, very tough. There aren't that many B2B influencers. And funnily enough, lots of B2B influencers are associated with mainstream existing traditional media owners. So that tends to be the B2B space. We focus mainly on consumer brands. Has it been tough to um, get them to work with influencers, with creators? Not once they see the results, as long as there are key objectives set out. Do you think there's an age limit on customer base that you can influence via social media influencers? Um, I, it's, look, it's, there's obviously a youth bent to the brands that we're working with. They're after millennial audiences, I suppose. However, I think that's changing, not least creators, YouTubers are growing up. Mm. So there was a really famous piece recently where an influencer called Louise Pentland, who used to be called Sprinkle of Glitter, and whilst I wasn't the biggest consumer of her content, it, from the from an outsider's point of view, it tended to be mainly about fairy sweet things in the colour pink. And overnight, in no way being disparaging, she kind of said, actually, I'm a mum. I'm a mum, a single mum that loves having vodka shots on a night out. And she very much <laughs> yeah. changed her content. So creators are growing up. The other thing that's incredible is the niches you would not believe. So there's a bloke in his mid-twenties who runs a channel called Philosophy Tube. And that oh, has, Ollie. Ollie, yeah. 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 And that has 80,000 subscribers. Yeah. And there's, there's a whole, admittedly, with an American focus, there's a whole influencer community dedicated to those that cook in green eggs. Do you know what green eggs are? No. Like posh barbecues, but it's all for kind oh, of middle-aged yes. men. <laughs> there's, there's car throttle which is kind of what Top Gear should be doing for young people. So as the niches keep on getting smaller and smaller and the influencers keep on getting more directed and in tune with their audience, I actually don't think it's going to be the preserve of younger audiences for that long a period of time. There is a niche for everything out there. And to be honest, like a lot of the uh, brands that approach me 
are all very specific to the type of content I make, which is um, about usually sex and relationships or body confidence or um, just stuff kind of generally aimed at young women mm-hmm. um, with kind of like a feminist angle to it. Um, is this where you get your like your main income from? Is this? Yeah, I would say like the biggest slice of my pie comes from uh, sponsorships and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. And how do you make sure? Like, how do you arrange? being paid for those things do you have an agent or do you negotiate on your own behalf or uh, I've, yeah, I've got a manager yeah um, I before I had a manager I, I used to uh, negotiate on my own behalf and that was terrifying I never knew how much to charge and I uh, just could never really uh, ask for more money and then also part of that is just like being uh, a female creator as well like you're not taken as seriously especially if you're negotiating for yourself um, you kind of like laughed at almost if you you know ask for more money like if you were a guy then um, then it'd be like oh well, he knows his worth well done him he asked for some more money and if you're a woman it's like how dare she um, ask for some more money uh, so now I'm very grateful that I've got professionals doing that for me what are some of the other risks um, around using social influencers there is a risk which is similar to traditional marketing so if sometimes things go wrong you're not dealing with a media property you're dealing with an individual or a group of individuals mm. we've had some we've had some quirks we've had some horror stories we had um, we had working with audible somebody sent um, a, a video back and because of we have the right regulations checks and balances in place you didn't go live but they they said audible's great for people that can't read that isn't a key message we've had <laughs> an influencer that sent back a video where they weren't in it but their husband was in the video I won't name and shame them I mean and sometimes you just are a bit tired and we've that's we've, what husbands are for well there we are <laughs> and we've had we've had other we've had other ones where I I still don't know the right answer to this or or actually I think I'm coming around to it we were working with Soap and Glory last summer working with an American influencer and I didn't know before I started working with the brand but they are owned by the Walgreens Boots Alliance so when this particular creator mentioned a really nice lamp in the same video that she got from Target i.e. a direct competitor of Boots we said can you please take it out and she said no because we weren't on the competing list because we never thought that we'd get... Do you see what I mean? Yeah. So it, those are... Because it's an emerging space. Now, I actually think the right answer is it wasn't in the brief, so therefore it's our mistake. In yeah. the end, she took it out. So there are there are risks. There are risks sometimes of it not working like there are with any other form of marketing or communications. So, and they are similar. I think uh, on like the creator part, the risks with working with brands is... Um, kind of having to to, or if a brand is quite um, adamant on having much more creative control um, and that's usually where I've seen most sticking points happen because uh, and and it's also like the risk for the brand as well because Mm -hmm. you know they pump money into advertising and they completely create make and direct and edit the a 30 second advert but when it comes to working with uh, like content creators online, it, that's what well, that's our job to make the content, and we know our audience the best, and we know our content the best, and we know what works and what doesn't. And so, very very rarely for me this has happened, but I've heard a lot of horror stories from friends. <laughs> it's just like 
butting heads and this and just such a conflict over style of video taking out certain bits and and just not quite understanding that you know we're the experts in this in terms of like I know my audience I know how to sell them stuff so I have to kind of like say to the brand like trust me to do my job properly because like it's worked in the past and I know what I'm doing when it comes to the price of these different kind of posts what what are we talking like for an Instagram post versus a YouTube video? So we've, with various different influencers, we've paid various different um, amounts. So we first worked with an influencer who is quite big now called Jim Chapman. And we worked with him six years ago on a campaign for a uh, HarperCollins teenager's book. And we paid him £1,250 for three videos. <laughs> My, things have changed. You're not going to be getting anything from Jim Absol- Chapman for that much now. <laughs> so I would guess, and I don't think his management um, gleam would mind me saying, I'd guess you're looking for him to get out of bed at around £50,000, something like that, to do something that's integrating a brand within his content. Now... If you're looking at a value exchange, and remember there are three different stakeholders in any partnership, the brand, the creator, and the audience as well. If you're flying any creator to a different place, to a different space, then maybe that's creating some different value. So we've actually seen a campaign recently with Disney where they took a number of different influencers to um, to be involved in a, in a filming and an event around Finding Nemo. Mm. And guess what? They didn't pay them the same amount as they would have done if they were selling them to, I don't know, real world example, a zombie experience in Reading, which we've done to promote Fox's Maze Run of the Scorch trials. So it's about getting the right value. To echo Hannah's point, it does vary, but you can pay big amounts. We've also worked with Instagrammers. We've worked with 10 Instagrammers for under £1,000. And there the brief was to create compelling content that was authentic and came from real people, real creators that wasn't brand. And that achieved all of its objectives. So depending on the objective, if you're looking at scale, then then you can work with the right influencer to suit any budget, really. What's the most you've ever paid for a YouTube video? I will give you an example of... I'll give you it because it was part of a bigger campaign. I'm not going to say the brand or the influencer, but you could probably work it out if you just searched online. We worked with a cosmetic brand, and we flew an Instagrammer... No, sorry, flew an influencer uh, to three different festivals, first class in America. Uh, she covered the festivals across all of her channels, and we paid her a hundred thousand US dollars for the privilege. So yeah, yeah, the budgets yeah. are high. And really nice. just to back that up, it was the most successful part of that brand strategy that ran that summer. When you talk about the success of these, like what seem crazily expensive videos, what do you count as successful? Well, the first thing to say is define your metrics at the beginning of a campaign. So if some, if you want 50 people seeing something, if it's exactly the right 50 people, sometimes that can work. Um, so we've seen influencer marketing deliver against direct response metrics for success. So literally sales, we've seen them deliver. We've seen those uh, campaigns deliver against. Uh, more consumer research metrics against communication metrics against brand awareness metrics we work for SOAS University to position them to students from overseas as a great place to study in London so again that's about the end content being used by SOAS University above the line Um, so yeah there are there are different success metrics we've also 
I suppose one of the things that is worth saying is, again, part of what Social Circle has set out to do is be kind of a hub for brands, but a home for creators. So working with creators to show them the right documents, the right contracts to help them establish their worth and also follow the right processes. Key thing of that process is, what do you expect for this campaign? What does success look like? And no one should be afraid to ask that question. Mm. Hannah, um, so how do you deal with that? And what do you think makes a good social media post so in practical terms like how many hashtags is it okay to use in one post one do you have any rules <laughs> one okay. one well maybe two if one of them is ad <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i i mean each to their own but i'm not really a very hashtag person i think one is enough in a post because i think otherwise there's you're asking the person who's looking at it to do too much. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you just want to say, this is the main hashtag of the campaign or the product or whatever it is. That's all you need to know. You don't want to then hit them with, like, all these other different hashtags and then, like, you know, which is, what's the information that I actually need here? Uh, what is the future for social media influencing? Like, is there much further to go with it? James, if I start with you. I think there's lots of places to go. I think there are kind of three different watchwords. One is um, the rise of the micro-influencer. So what does that mean? That means Zoella's been on Great British Bake Off. She's not an influencer. She's a real-life celebrity now. And when you get to that kind of stage of 11 million subscribers, I actually think that that's a different relationship with the audience. You're moving from being an influencer, being a digital first creator into being a celebrity so the micro influencers I actually think are the ones that are having the biggest impact in influencing and communicating a brand's message and we've always we've been saying that for a while the second key trend that I would say is all about um, a relationship with a brand so it sounds like this could be a piece of advice from uh, Hannah's channel um, which is don't have less one night stands and more long term relationships yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I think brands should be considering who are the right influencers they can be working with we have a nice tracking tool on Social Circle that allows brands to look for who's rising mm. so that they can start working with them now so they'll get increased benefits later. That's the definite shift that I've been seeing with the kind of offers that I've been getting and brands have been working with recently is that it is less of a we just want one video but more of a multiple videos or on different platforms or like this is something you're an ambassador for three months six months or whatever it is um and those kind of deals are definitely the ones that i think um are going to be like the future of it and also like for me personally are the ones that i'm more interested in pursuing and you personally you've got a book coming out is that right it is out it came out in april this year it's called doing it and it's all about sex and relationships it's like an uh, advice and uh education book for young adults uh it's available on amazon waterstones all those good places (laughs) so is this something that you see happening people will start creating because that's taking it from social media to kind of back to the olden days of books um, I mean, I wouldn't call books olden days, especially because, uh, you know, recorded an audio book for it as well. And it's like on ebooks as well. Um, but I'm, I'm by no means the first person to, you know, from the Internet to do a book. Um, it's been happening for like the last uh, 
three, four years or so, I reckon. Um, but yeah, you've got, there's more and more um, uh, online creators are looking to other ventures. And I think that's really exciting because, you know, you're not, most most people aren't just one thing. They're not just a YouTuber or an Instagrammer or a blogger. They could be they could be a writer. They could be a musician. They could be an artist, a photographer. And um, where we're kind of at now is that we've got a, a platform. We've got this audience, which is very exciting because it means that we can use that to leverage a lot of other opportunities in different fields that um, we're passionate about. There's a stupid misconception that any idiot can do this, and it's simply not the case. I'll give you an example of an idiot who can't. When Chris Moyles didn't have a radio show, he set up a YouTube channel. I think if you go there now, and occasionally he still uploads talent, he's hardly got any subscribers, hardly got any viewers, and he is a traditional media big star. There is an art to this. There is an art to understanding the talent, and that's that's kind of the next emerging trend, as you see these really talented entrepreneurial people reach audiences in ways that nobody else can. So be more like Hannah and less like Chris Moyles. <laughs> that's the takeaway. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, thanks very much. Thanks. That's all we have time for this week. If you like the podcast, please like and subscribe on iTunes, Audioboom, Spotify, or wherever it is that you listen. You can also follow us on Twitter on at UnregulatedPod for updates and let us know who you're most influenced by on social media other than us, obviously. With thanks to Emma, who was producing this week, and Huckletree and White City Place, this has been the Unregulated Podcast.